Hey folks, it's me, John. You are listening to Saul Searching on the FYIZ podcast feed. In this episode, my friends Ronald James and Steve Ritter stop by to help me break down the fifth episode of Better Call Saul's sixth season, which was called Black and Blue. It was written by Allison Tatlock and directed by Melissa Bernstein. Now here's Saul Searching. <laughs> Hey, Ronald. Hello. Hey, Steve. Hey, John. And uh, thank you guys for coming on Saul Searching to talk about Better Call Saul with me. We are going to talk about the latest episode, but I do want to know just before the most recent episode, any thoughts on the season thus far? Particularly, I think I'm curious to know what you guys think of what happened with Nacho. But about anything that's going on this season, I'd like to hear what your thart, your thoughts are. Uh, <laughs> well, I have plenty of thoughts. We got lots of thoughts. Plenty of thoughts, <laughs> which is a thought. Why you? <laughs> Why you fart? That's too easy. Um, masterclass, <laughs> masterclass by Vince Gilligan, man. It, it, I I love what he's doing. I, you know, it's crazy. Like I when when I heard that there was a spinoff of um, Breaking Bad so many years ago, I was like, this is a this is a silly idea. It's not going to be good, right. and it's slowly becoming as good, if not better, to me than Breaking Bad because it it does. It's more character studies. It's more like, you know, a day in the life sort of analyzing and, and the web of characters that have kind of come out of this world are super fascinating. You know, obviously the ones we know, ones we don't know, but I'm enjoying it. And this is the last season, which makes me super sad. And I'm, I'm curious to see the connecting tissue. Like it, I want it. To, it's, it's always been faint, but I want it to be more direct when it comes to whatever connects this story to Breaking Bad, and it feels like it's getting closer to that. Right, of like doing its own thing, telling its own story, but also doing like a great job of of connecting to what we know without, I don't think necessarily leading, it's not all about leading up to what we know. In fact, it seems like mm -hmm. this season might, might overlap with what we know a little bit, and we're gonna see a little bit of stuff in a new light. But I think you're right that it does kind of, it's weird to even think of the show as a prequel, right? Because it, it, it sidesteps so many of the pitfalls of a story where you where knowing what is going to happen kind of ruins the suspense. What about you, Steve? Uh, this this season in particular, I think I know your feelings about the show, but how have you been enjoying season six? I mean, so far, so great. I mean, like I, you mentioned the nacho of it all. And, you know, I feel like I, I guess I was a little surprised that he was. Well, let me say I'm, I'm so, I was surprised and not so surprised because I guess knowing that they're breaking the season up, I feel like there's going to be like, th there's going to be those moments peppered through the two halves of what we have here for the rest of the season where, you know, some characters are going to meet their, you know, demise and, and how they go about it. But I guess I was a little surprised it happened so soon in this second half of the final season. Mm -hmm. But I think. Or the first half. I'm sorry, the first half of this two part season. But I think that, you know, going on from that episode, I definitely see the mechanization of like why they did it earlier in the season, like what it allows them to do with the other characters that are still moving pieces. I was very sad to see him go because I think yeah. that character was like the, you know, between him and Kim, it's like those are the two greatest additions to like the time we've spent, you know, with this whole Better Call Saul series. I think just the those two characters stand out to me personally. So to see one of them kind of come to an end, I just think uh, definitely uh, 
he deserves his flowers because I think that that character was just a, a great character in the whole scheme of the Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul universe. And um, but yeah, I mean, so far this season is great. I, 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 I think like Ronald said, and I know you've said many times, you know, listening to the past episodes of this podcast, it's like. It's so easy. It, they make it look so easy, you know, like the the show, yeah. the like Vince Gilligan and uh, is it Peter Gold, Peter Gold, um, Peter Gold. Yeah. Yeah. Like just the ability for them to kind of have such a craft on display from week to week and the the filmmakers that they have involved and the writers, like just everything is just so top notch. And it really is a weird feeling, too, because there's a lot of shows coming to an end, you know, like over this next year or two that have been shows that have been with us for a long time, like shows that were with us before, like some of our kids were born, you know, and like it's just a weird thing to think about um, this one in particular because of the way it connects to Breaking Bad. But. Um, and, you know, obviously, I'm super curious how they're going to do that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So far, obviously, this is like mandatory viewing every week. It's like that sit down and watch it. I can't miss it kind of thing. And uh, it's one of the best one. It's one of the best out there right now. So, Ronald, what about you uh, with Nacho's passing? Do you do you kind of agree with Steve that it was surprising that it happened so soon? Uh, but also that looking yeah. back, you can kind of see how it might kind of hang over a lot of what's going to happen, you know, after. Yeah, I mean, it was it was super unexpected. I mean, Nacho is a character that, you know, like Steve was saying, I've, I've come to love. But, you know, in the events leading to his demise, you could tell that there were he had a lot of brushes with death, you know, and it was feeling like once he made an agreement for, you know, something not to happen to his, his father, you know, I could tell that this was it. You know, it, it felt like, oh, man, like this, this is not the one that he's going to escape this time. Um, and I've I've gotten kind of close. I feel like I'm connected to him. He's, he's, you know, there are a lot of characters that have like the 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 facade of a very like emotionless, tough person. And then as you see, like even like Michael and Mike and um gustavo fring you know seeing the way they talk you know he wouldn't let anybody talk to him like that you know right seeing the way that nacho interacts with people and um seeing his vulnerability that he's seen that he's kind of shown as you know when he cried when he called his pop man i was like man this is i you know i've just come to love this guy and it surprised the shit out of me i'm i'm devastated but it will yes make way for what may feel like you know a fast-paced first half that may slow down a little bit to kind of make way for, uh, you know, some fleshing out things that we've kind of wondered about. Right. Before before we leave Nacho, I, there's a couple things I want to say and just see what you think. One is, I feel like he cursed them in that moment, that like him dying in the way that he did, it's like he put a curse, because think about it, everybody in that moment that has the drop on him, that has him at the end of a gun, they're all dead. We, we know that not, yeah, not a yeah, single yeah. one of them escapes this life. Yeah. And even Mike, who's this sort of, you know, somewhat detached guy that we can we can sort of see a path for Mike to, to get out of it. And we know that he won't. So I don't know. I feel like there's there's immense power in Nacho being, as you said, the most vulnerable of these characters that we've seen batted around. But once he realized that maybe he could save his dad's life, it's like, well, that's a purpose I can serve 
My dad's yeah. never going to run away with me. He's never going to be part of my escape. So right, I can't yeah. escape if I care about my dad. Um, I do wonder if maybe they're going to put the dad in danger later or if there's going to be some Hector being oh, no. vindictive or something. But I think what we know yeah. is that Mike will probably try to honor the promise to protect him. And and Mike's a All good right. guy to have backing you up if you, if you can have it. Um, mm -hmm. But um, so I kind of wondered what you thought of that idea of Nacho kind of mm -hmm. having the last laugh in a weird way. Uh, but, but also... Because um, chronologically, he dies last, right? We've seen all these other guys die already, even though yeah. in terms of the story chronology, we know he dies first. But also, what do you think about the idea that he stands as some kind of example of what's to come for Jimmy and or Kim, that there's going to be a, 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 a gut check moment and someone's not going to do what Nacho does, which is sacrifice himself uh, for someone else. Like, is Jimmy going to have a chance to sacrifice himself for Kim and then Kim's going to take the fall? Is Kim going to have a chance to sacrifice herself for Jimmy and Jimmy's going to take the fall? I'm just kind of wondering if we're going to look back on what happened to Nacho as kind of a template of like, here's what it looks like in this world to go out on your own terms. And if you don't, if you weasel around to try to stay alive, which is what Jimmy does, right? Um, right, right. It, that your life's going to be different. You know, you, you won't get to have an end like this. You'll always be looking over your shoulder. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about, about those ideas. I'm a big fan of crime films. I mean, I, I didn't take them in until I got older because they were, that kind of stuff was really impressionable on me. Like, you know, if I watched... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I wanted to kick somebody in the chest. So I knew that for myself, that as I got older, I had to take those in later. Um, but when I did, I started to love them. Is that why you lived in the sewer when I met you? Yeah, yeah. That's why every time that I get angry, I'm like, I'm on a fling of, uh, uh, what do you call those things? A sewer. A manhole cover. <laughs> yeah, manhole cover. Let's, let's call them sewer caps from here on out. <laughs> like soda caps uh sorry um what was i saying um cowabunga yeah cowabunga oh yes so there's a drug so there's a thing that we kind of hear in movies that maybe in some ways whether we want to admit it or not we kind of know this idea once you uh get into a certain life you know there's like a, a saying you know you're in the life now right yeah What's really strange about that is it doesn't feel like it at first because, you know, it's not like when you get into a life that's different than the one that, you know, that, you know, the 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 tiles of your floor are going to start lifting like uh, and then a, 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 a portal is going to open. It's not Dr. Strange. You know what happens is it's subtle, you know. And then you look up and your entire existence is different. You start making compromises that you normally wouldn't make. You know, you may, you may, you may have not stolen money out of the, the homeless man things, but you're like, I, I'm, I'm, I commit crime. So what does it matter? And you may snatch something you didn't snatch. And then that's the cool part about this type of storytelling is that, you know, these guys have gotten into a life that is very hard to get out. And, you know, once you decide you want to get out, you have to either disappear completely or you start having to do things that people in your life don't do, which is maybe tell on somebody to get out of something, which is maybe like hurt somebody that's on your team to get away because that person will kill you because, you know, it's just it's a cycle that Jimmy, I don't know, has really experienced until I'd say really the day that he went out into the desert to get that money. Yeah. It was the first time that he was faced with his mortality, you know, and 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 uh, the possibility that this could lead to him dying. 
So right. watching these changes happen with these characters has been gradual. But with you know people like Jimmy who are dealing with people who can make things happen immediately for you, people that don't, if they don't get their way, they might show up where you, you know, somebody you love is, or, you know, it's a different kind of consequence. And it's a little crazy to watch how it affects each person. That's all mm-hmm. I'm saying. You know, it's, 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 it's catastrophic for everybody. I'm not saying there's any less or better, but. Right. But for Nacho, it was the, he was in it the whole time. And yeah, like, yeah, he, he knew, he, knew he was in it to, to, to kind of continue yeah. what you were saying. Nacho had a self-awareness yeah. about being in it. Whereas yeah. with Jimmy and even Kim, it's been like this gradual thing where maybe Kim's more aware of it than Jimmy, but they're both sort of flirting with disaster in ways that that they might not realize. What do you think, Steve? Do you think Nacho's kind of a like sets a pattern for for like a crossroads we might see some other characters come to later on? I mean, absolutely. So, I mean, for everything that we said earlier about like his impact as a you know as a new character, the ability for them to you know to show this new character to have the viewer really kind of connect with him, empathize, worry about, like just really struggle with with accepting that you know this character is going to meet his demise at some point in this series. You know, so to have him go out the way he did, I think does kind of present you with the idea of even with a new character, you can see how much you can miss these guys, you know, or miss this this person when they make their exit from the show. But in his case, like you just described, you know, I do think it is going to set up a thematic like juxtaposition with some of the characters that we know even better than him that don't make, like you said, maybe won't make the same kind of, you know, proud, whatever that right word is like that kind of decision where like, you know, there's no out, you know, and if, if, if anybody is to come out of it, okay, it should be the people that you've possibly put in danger, yeah. you know, and you know, you care for, and you know, really have no skin in this game, but they are just affected simply because of your involvement. So I do think he's the character that, sets us up you know to say this is what it looks like when you acknowledge that and it's going to be hard to watch when it's somebody like you know kim or jimmy whichever way you describe because these are characters that arguably you care even more about and it would be even more devastating to see them make the opposite of that decision you know and how that will impact the person that they care about the most at that point in their lives which is a a great setup well, it's also a good segue to uh, our, our our new episode, uh, which was called Black and Blue, and it was uh, written by Allison Tatlock and uh, directed by Melissa Bernstein. And they actually were a team that has, uh, pre- previous to this, I think um, it was the episode JMM from season five that uh, was directed and written oh, by the wow. same team. Um, mm. and. and Melissa Bernstein is a longtime producer and executive producer of Breaking Bad and right. this show too. So she's another person, one of those kind of style uh, guardians of of this show. You know, so it's cool that she, she's worked up to directing and has gotten a chance to take on this show because it seems to me like directing this show is like you get given this amazing apparatus for setting up these beautiful shots, and there, there's nothing they won't try. There's no tricky thing they won't they won't absorb into the story. And if they use a shot like that, they always it's always part of the story. It's never just showy. Sometimes it's kind of showy, but it usually has some kind of narrative purpose to it. Um, so yeah, black and blue, and uh, I guess the, the the segue that I was looking for there was the fact that um, we've been talking about this kind of this kind of moral overhang. How far will these characters go? Uh, and Nacho and Kim are these characters we talk about a lot. I've mentioned Lalo as one too, where we really don't know what happens to them, and they're vulnerable, right? Uh, right. Yeah. But Howard 
is another character that we don't know what happens to. And I would say that Howard is both stepping up in a way uh, that is cool to see uh, as a fan of this show and as a kind of a, a sleeper fan of Howard. Who I've, I've been sort of a defender of Howard along the way that, you know, <laughs> he's that guy who seemed like a real douche at first. And every step of the way, you've realized he was less of a douche than you thought, or at least that his heart's yeah. in the right place. Um, or at least that comparing him now to J Jimmy and Kim, he's certainly no worse than they are. Being smug uh, it, it, sure, it yeah. does not make you yeah. worse than like the kind of cons they're running. But we know that we've always also seen Howard as this stuffed shirt, and there's been this kind of rivalry that's fun to see. But it's taken such a nasty turn that I think it was interesting to see how Howard was able to kind of you know, meet them on their playing field in a way. Maybe he's playing into their hands to some degree, but in another way, they're playing into his. He's he's at that point where a character chooses to be in it, to your point earlier, Ronald. Him sending the private investigator to follow Jimmy, that's Howard being in it on choice, by choice, you know? Right. Whereas yeah. after the fight this this week, he could have walked away and said, ah, maybe that'll help you, Jimmy, I don't know. But but yeah. his point was never the fight. His point was to say to a guy, see, that's Jimmy. I want you to follow him, you know? So Howard's yeah. already playing at a deeper level than maybe he even realizes. Because if he's going to start tracking people that Jimmy's associating with, he's about to throw himself in with a whole different kind of character. I don't know how you guys feel about Howard and what's happening there. You know, I've I've talked to you about this before. The the people, I'm not going to name the name because I, you know, I don't want to go on a rant about the celebrity again. But there is a such thing as people who are like basically essentially fake nice because they're alpha males that have a, a barrier up that they don't want to get too mad at you. They know that they can rip you apart. They know that you can beat they can beat you <laughs> up. So um, you know, <laughs> Howard, Howard challenged him to what what is called in other cultures, a friendly fate. Let's fight. Let's get this out. And, you know, it's it's when I was in high school, they had a program where if you you got into an argument with somebody, you could box outside. It's I mean, you know, it, it, it kind of ended towards when I got to the school, but it was still remnants of the culture. Right. And, you know, what that means is sometimes like there's a, there's a lot of skipping and and evading the idea that we're just like upright animals right i mean we poop we pee we do all the things that that animals outside do but we we are maybe you do i don't do those things my, mine like vaporizes inside my body and nothing nothing disgusting comes out of me oh i drop a brick i have like a thing like robocop and it opens up and a brick of waste comes out and I just drop it on the ground. And can be used as fuel. Yeah. Anyway. So, you know, I, th I think stuff like that is done to kind of see, like, you know, whether we want to admit it or not, there's still primal things about us. And some of it is like the need to resolve things through, you know, a show of dominance or like, you know, a competition or like. You know, that there's a part of you that just wants to jab somebody in the face when they're disrespectful or, you know, and how I don't like Howard because he's fake nice. But I also understand that, like, he's been tortured. So he's like, look, prostitutes where I are during my meetings, you know, you people are saying I'm on drugs. Let's fight. Let's get this. <laughs> you, 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 you seem to have something wrong. You, you, you haven't said anything to my face. So let's just handle this in the ring. And I, you know, I don't like Howard, but I loved him after that because it really was a show of like, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy deserved that. But also Jimmy asserts himself through in roundabout ways, you mm -hmm. know, 
versus Howard, that's very in his face. He he fired him to his face. He said he couldn't bring him on to his face. You know, it, it was it was for shitty reasons, sure, but like he did it to his face. Whereas Howard, I mean, uh, Jimmy works in a different way, and the way that you know making it direct as he did is something that is incredible for his his character development. And you're right, it was a cool setup for that, but maybe through that act, through that alpha act, maybe that was a sign that there was a little more going on in his head than than we thought. He's he he's kind of turned into the apex predator. He's like, you you wanted me to act like I was in high school. But so you got high school Howard. You got yeah. you got Howard to push people when I saw them in the hallway. Cause you know he was that kind of guy. You know he wasn't a nice no, guy. No, they got H.O. Ward is what he got. Yeah. H.O. <laughs> Ward. I, by H. the way, Ward. the best fake name ever, right? Man. Right, right. Oh yeah. god. So what do you what do you think, Steve? What do you think about Yeah, I mean, I mean you pretty much said it said it all. I mean, I, I I guess it just really comes down to uh, you know, like them knowing Howard so well that this is a part of a longer game, you know, like yeah. the, the way that he would find out and the way he would react just kind of takes this the next step along whatever plan they have. Now, what mm. what you don't what you what? Well, at least I guess me, I don't know how you guys feel about it. I don't think they anticipate him going on and hiring someone to follow him, you know, like <laughs> right. you guys were just saying. So, I mean, I think that kind of adds a layer, uh, a bit of contingency to it, you know, in terms of what you know, what happens when you play these games that Jimmy and yeah. Kim are playing, even though Howard's kind of played into their hand as, as they kind of expected him to. But I mean, I think that just kind of opens up the whole thing. And that's what the show is so good at is that, you know, they all know each other so well, yeah. but then, you know, who's playing who and what's the move, you know, and what's the counter move. It's just, it's just a great, it's a great game to watch, I guess, you know, especially Howard, like John described, you know, he is a character that, you do feel for, and I do feel like through different parts of different seasons, I've kind of found myself like siding with him at times. Um, but you know, it's just, uh, it's just interesting to watch how much these characters can flex, you know, in ways that maybe surprise me and you as a viewer, but in this show, I don't think it surprised Jimmy and Kim at all. Like that's how well they know him and we're still <laughs> yeah. getting to know him. I, I think that, I don't think they expected him to, challenge Jimmy to a fight. I think they expected him to call Jimmy on it. I, I think that like yeah. Howard still sort of wins the like the what you were talking about, Ronald. It's just a calling someone out moment. It's a okay, you're gonna yeah. talk about me. Let's go. And at that point, Jimmy wants to laugh at it and say, This is ridiculous. You're acting insane. But you see he can't walk away from it. I oh, think absolutely there's, not. there's yeah. there's so much like toxic masculinity on display in that yeah. scene because Jimmy can't walk away even though he knows that's his best move. And Howard doesn't even really care. Howard even says, you wanted me to catch you. I don't even think this is going to work. You know, I mean, Howard knows he's part of something. What they like, yeah. maybe what you said, Steve, maybe they don't know that he's going all in on this investigator thing. But I do like the idea that it was like, I love Jimmy and I always, I always want to see Jimmy get out of stuff. But this was like a moment of comeuppance that he sort of, by not walking away, he sort of asked for the generally bigger, brawnier guy to knock him down yeah. at some point. I like that right. they weren't unrealistically great fighters. Nobody was really good. Nobody was really horrible. <laughs> yes. They were kind of getting yeah. out of breath. It was sort of not serious yeah. until it was serious. And then when Howard had a shot, he took it, you know. Um, so I, th I think you're right. I think this is not something Howard hasn't done before. He has challenged someone yeah. to a fight before. Uh, I do picture him, though, doing it the right way with a ref and uh, – 
and yeah, like I Queens, Queensberry Logan. rules and everything. I don't picture yeah, him yeah. like going out <laughs> outside a, a bar and having a drunken fight in an alley or something. I feel like yeah. Howard Howard tries to do it right. But I, the whole fake nice thing, I think this is a really funny part of Howard because the namaste license plate, his sort of whole attitude, it is sort of fake nice. Yeah, and then I thought yeah. about that quote, which was such a badass quote from him about, um, you know, don't mistake my kindness for weakness. Um, and I, I was like, I, I was like, it. who said that? That was such a great use of that quote. But I, I, I didn't know. I mean, I've heard it many times, but I didn't know who said it. And I looked and it's like, it seems like some people attribute it to Al Capone, but also to the Dalai Lama. And I realized if that is a supposed like Dalai Lama, like saying that you would have on a on a on a pillow almost or you know what I mean? On a plaque. Mm -hmm. It makes perfect sense that Howard would have that phrase in his lexicon because he's a namaste guy you know what i mean i just thought that was very yeah. it, was, it was so even that cool line if the writers of this show are smart enough to like weave it into howard's kind of fake zen thing that you're talking about ronald where he puts on this nice yeah. veneer but he's actually maybe there's more going on underneath than he wants people to know yeah a lot of respect for jimmy to jimmy for actually going through with the fight because there's i mean there are a lot <laughs> of people that would have created the chaos that howard did and not followed up with with that match. I think that you know it was a it was a show that you know he may not be that same energy of of you know quote unquote alpha that Howard is and is starting to exude, but um, he has something in him that would compel him to stick it out. He's a fighter by nature, you know, and that's something that this this was kind of showing, you know, him being a fighter by nature. This guy kind of them kind of unraveling this this personality type is something that each person knew that they can bring out of each other right and it and and it's like we like seeing howard get that moment because yeah. it doesn't hurt jimmy in our eyes to see him get knocked out by howard no. it would no. hurt howard in our eyes to see him get knocked out by jimmy do you know what i mean like that yeah. scene played out right to sort of like further both characters in their world because now that Jimmy's the kind of guy who does take a punch and who could get beaten up. And that's that feeling that people are kind of bullying him and that he's suffering is part of what we like about Saul Goodman or what we liked about Saul Goodman back on Breaking Bad is that he seemed like a miserable yeah. weasel, <laughs> you know, but a funny, yeah. miserable weasel. And it's a little tough to see Jimmy become that. But I think in this episode, you see a couple of steps. I think the other step, of course, is the fact that he's fully embraced the kind of sleazy side of his law practice. So that kind of goes hand in hand with I'll take a punch kind of like you said Ronald just to see what'll happen and to diffuse this and so that this guy doesn't think he called me out and I didn't yeah you know and and he because that, that would feel like a loss of face if Jimmy walked away with Howard saying you know come on you know it's it just reminds me of like you know in the history class you learn about like samurais and, and ninjas and stuff like that and and what I found out was I always had this idea that like ninjas fought like face to face and squared up and no they would find when you were not looking and stab you in your back because why would you waste energy on fighting a huge guy if i could just stab the person that i have a problem <laughs> with you know that it, that's and that's what i respect about jimmy like jimmy's not trying to have like a a, a, a cool you know mm -mm. we we bow and then we fight i'm gonna take you out cool you you he's against the wall 
and 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 Howard's gonna be like, oh, I'm so sorry, and then he's gonna stab him right in his back, which I think is so fucking cool about this character. So we'll see what, how it plays out. <laughs> so what do you think they mean at the at the end of this episode? Well, close to the end, um, or at the end of their storyline, anyway. Kim and Jimmy are there, and and he says, why did I do it? Why did I go back? I didn't even have to take the bait. And she says, well, because you knew what happens next, or because you know what happens next. Um, any thoughts there, Steve? What what what's ha- what's going to happen next? Oh man, I wish I knew. Um, I'm not sure to be honest with you. I think that's one of the things that the show does well is that like for certain things being predictable, I think it kind of keeps me guessing the whole way through. Um, like I, I don't know that I thought that Howard catching on would be a part of their plan, you know. So that kind of even kind of got me by surprise. So I, I can't say really. I don't know what's going on. I know, you know, even Kim having that little meeting. Uh, with the sandpiper attorney, like just to get the name of the judge. Like, I just feel like all these little pieces are moving in. And uh, even that longer scene that we get where, um, is it Cliff? Is that Ed, Ed Begley's character's name? Yeah, Cliff Main. Yeah, Cliff. Like when Cliff actually kind of comes and talks to Howard, like that whole scene before that, you know, with all of the, you know, defendants of that case. That 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 scene seemed longer than it needed to be, I think, for a very good reason to kind of tell us more about Howard and like when he gives a little speech there. So, man, I don't I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like. I feel like I can't really say, Uh, do you have an idea where you think it's going next, John? I have no idea because it seems like maybe Howard knowing or suspecting them or blaming them is part of their plan. So maybe they play exactly. It's kind of like what they did to Chuck. They made him look crazy basically so maybe that's their plan with howard is for him to look paranoid and lose face that way um i, I did love his his reaction when when cliff talked to him howard was like wait yeah. who, who were you meeting with when you saw me in my car <laughs> and then he says kim wexler and then yeah. he gets on the phone and he says cancel my week <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> i mean that, like, that really it's, does it's like he's got plan he's got a, a folder called jimmy that's just he's ready to enact the the, the you know and and kim obviously i think that <laughs> That's something that I think is is a theory. I, if I do have a theory, what might happen next? I don't know what Kim and Jimmy might do. I think that maybe we've been looking for what's going to happen to Kim. Maybe Howard ruins her career. Maybe he has her disbarred. Um, right. And so at the end of the show, she can't practice law, but Jimmy can. And that mm. that causes them to split up or something. Anyway, that that's a thought. But Steve, you were about to say something. Yeah, no, and I think that tracks. I mean, I think the idea that like, like what I was getting at before about like all these little pieces um that we've these that we've been kind of doling out like even you know going uh, what was it um like when jimmy goes to the, the 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 husband and wife earlier in the season to kind of like get them to file the case of like misrepresentation like all these things that they've been doing to kind of cover this idea from multiple angles and now jimmy being beaten up and he's got this you know shiner and there's all this stuff that they can like use to mold this idea of who howard is and what's What's wrong with Howard to kind of try to win this case? I think that all tracks. And I also think that you mentioned earlier that that line that he says, the the mistake in my kindness for weakness thing. Yeah, I think that that the piece that comes after that is just as just as telling when he says, I like to think that tonight makes a difference. I like to think that tonight ends it. He says that he you know does what he does with Jimmy and then he still has somebody tail him. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I think even though he says that, I think the language there is very deliberate and I'd like to think I'd like to think yet he knows that it's not like he knows now that something else is coming. And I just think that 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 collision that's going to happen uh, is going to be a really great car, car wreck to watch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, man. Yes, Can't that's wait. That's right. So, John, um, let me ask you something real quick, yeah. if you don't mind. So this season is being broken into two parts and the other one comes out sometime in July, right? Right. So it's how many episodes total? It's 13. Okay, so it's still 13. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Because I'm trying to like parse out like over the rest of the episodes that we have, like kind of how this rest the rest of the season maps out. And it seems like they have a decent amount of time left. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does seem to be moving. Like I think maybe Ronald said it earlier, like maybe it slows down a little bit. Um going, you know, in in and out of these two halves because it does seem like a lot's happened in this piece so far. Yeah. I have a theory that it's going to, and I don't know where the break, where the half season break is in. There's seven before the break and six after. So I think that's a tactical thing. There's a reason why it wasn't six before and seven after, you know what I mean? Or right, whatever right, right. it might've been. There's all kinds of reasons why these networks like to break a season in half. I think there's Emmy consideration stuff going on. Definitely. And I think uh, why it's considered one season is because on the other side, they don't want to have to renegotiate contracts. So it's like, there's a lot of reasons why these last seasons of shows get split up over a period of time. But this feels like a, a, right. a nice respect small break but so I wonder how much of a break there's really going to be in the story but but my pet theory my kind of wish I guess would be that at some point we wrap up the prequel and then we get time uh, time in the uh, future with Gene yeah. and you'll remember the last time we saw Gene he had a plan he had a move in mind he was gonna get disappeared he was on the phone with Robert Forster, and then he thinks of something, and he says, never mind, and hangs up, and then we see that he has a plan. That's, that's the last time we saw Gene. Uh, wow. Gene, Gene yeah. Cinnabon is stationed near where um, Kim says she's from. So he could be on the road and knock on Kim's door. Um, Lalo could be alive and out there. I have this fantasy of like a, oh, a, an wow. Omaha-based Lalo, Jimmy, Kim showdown that could be that moment of Jimmy getting his mojo back that that Walter White didn't get to have because his story was all about moral decay. But yeah. Jimmy, the story's always been about there's this little flickering light inside there of a guy that we like. Um, I think to see him somehow, I mean, redeeming himself sounds a little corny, but you, you, you can imagine the kind of storytelling I'm talking about. Just a cool story Absolutely. where he, maybe similar to the kind of grace that was extended to Jesse Pinkman in El Camino, where it's like you, you show a character who has fought his way through hell and you, you show a way out for that character. Um, I, I would right, like right. to see a way out for Jimmy and Kim, and I would love it if, if that stuff is focused on that whole chapter that we didn't even know we were going to get with this show, but that now is honestly maybe the most tantalizing one. And the idea that Lalo could survive to that point is to me just like, well, that would be, he's kind of oh become, the, he's become yeah. the Terminator James Bond of this show. So it's like, <laughs> give me more of that guy. But if I, if there's anybody I'm afraid of finding me out in the, you know, the plains <laughs> somewhere, that feels like no country for old men for him to be like after Jimmy yeah. in that new setting. And of course, Kim, but if, if Kim, if her career's ruined, maybe she does go back to where she's from. So, you know, it, it all could kind of fit into place. So I don't, I don't really think I have theories, but that feels, that sounds nice to me, what I just described. <laughs> Do you think Kim's alive in the future? I don't see how she's dead and, and Jimmy acts like he does. I feel like it would make Jimmy seem too shallow and too dark if he's like out there living it up as Saul Goodman and she's in the grave. I just don't, I just feel like that's too dark of a turn, but I do think something bad happens to her for her to be sort of out of the picture seemingly, but we don't even know that she's out of the picture. I think we've talked about that before, Steve, but you know, we don't, we don't know during Breaking Bad where she is. She could easily be just across town telling him what to do, right, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'd love the idea that she existed and he, 
We just didn't know his personal life. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's not like he didn't. He's never mentioned any of that stuff. Like, how cool would it be if she's always been there? Like, I would I would. I'd love that. Actually. That'd be a great reveal. Well, I mean, if she can't practice law, it would make sense that maybe she would be like an unofficial advisor to the yeah. the corrupt lawyer. Well, I do want to talk about something else. There's one other big storyline in this episode that we haven't talked about. It has the cold open where we see a slide rule being placed in Lucite, and then we see an engraving in German on it, and then we see a little sticker get stuck on the bottom of it. And in true Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad fashion, that... that um, that opening ends and then your significant other turns to you and says, did I miss something? And you say, I, I don't know. <laughs> Let's watch the episode and find out because it might be the kind of thing that makes sense in an hour or it might not be. Uh, but it makes perfect sense that this is the sort of clue. If you if you sort of put it together, I believe this is the this is the gift given to Werner by the boys. Yes. Uh, in lieu of coming to his funeral, maybe, or maybe they gave it to him at a different point. I don't know. But it says on it, I be- it's the, the, the German uh, inscription is, in Liebe deine Jungs, which is with love, comma, your boys. Right. So mm. it makes sense that maybe Lalo's going to look at the sticker on the bottom of it and determine who made this thing and then go find out who ordered this thing and then be able to possibly torture and kill Werner's guys until they tell him what they were doing. Uh, for Gus Fring, you know, um, I, I don't think they knew who they were working for. I don't think they knew where they were, but he knows where they yeah. were. So he'll know yeah. if they say they're making a big thing. I think Gus Fring hiding a gun in the super lab uh, might be setting up a future showdown with Lalo in that yes. space. There's all kinds of stuff that could be converging. Uh, so, yeah, what do you think of the Lalo storyline? And are you as glad as I am that he didn't have to kill Werner's widow? Oh, my God. Yes. Or Werner's widow. Pardon me. Vito. Yeah. <laughs> so that's so cool. I mean, like. You know what's funny? I feel like he's evolved in some way. Like he could have just ki- killed her in that house. I mean, like he he ha- he has done worse. He killed family members. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like makes me wonder if he's made a turn in some way. Maybe not completely, but uh, I'm 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 curious. I don't know. He was ready to kill her. He just didn't have to. Yeah, yeah. I feel like John or whoever said he's like the Terminator earlier. I yeah. feel like that's really yes. That's really the feeling I get. Like. Ever since he left that that uh, that truck that was going to sneak him back into the states, like <laughs> you know this the the you know talking and saying like, but how do we prove it? Like that that whole line, then you see a light bulb, you know, like you see the idea in his mind of what he's got to do. Um, yeah. So yeah, seeing him pop up and talking to the widow and all that stuff, and that whole scene was super tense and like you know not violent, surprisingly. Yeah, I mean, like I guess I. He could have easily done that, but um, may- maybe that would have, you know, let somebody on to what he was trying to do. You know, like if she pops up dead or something. Yeah. Maybe that that somehow gets back to someone who gets back to someone who Gus finds out, you know, I, I think there was a real moment of like human interaction where he yeah. was like, I kind of don't want to kill this woman, you know, and then. Yeah. And that's why he like chose to come back the next day and break in. And when he's standing there with the gun, I mean, you can tell it's like he chose to go out the window rather than confront her. Right, right. So there is a weird side of him that showed tenderness. And I think, yeah, we can just add that to the picture that we have of this guy, this guy who really could have killed her. I mean, whether it it would have raised eyebrows or not to kill her, he doesn't seem to care that much about that. Um, He was even nice to the dog. (laughs) He was. He was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a great, like, forecast in terms of uh, thinking about how he kind of could see that thing that we saw in the cold in the open and kind of mm. track it back. That's, but again, man, that's like that awesome 
such a unique, like the special thing about this show and Breaking Bad, like just those little and not even just like the story point, like the craft going into making that opening sequence. Yeah. And the, and the craft into making that that token. Yeah. And, you know, just just the way it's all shot. And, it, and for that to be a piece that could ultimately do what John described, it's like what a great uh, what what an efficient use of something that you would think is so mundane, you know, to be like a piece that could really be the thing that allows him to prove it all, you know, like that is really the snowball. And uh, oh, man, it's just, you know, that's just what, that's what the show does so well. Like in, you know, season in and ever, you know, every season in, it's just like always like, Oh, well that opening was great. I mean, all, you know what, that's one of the things I love about this show that I think is unique to this show even maybe more definitely probably more than breaking bad is just that like those cold opens that this show has seem to be so much more um like the craft yes for sure and uh the time spent you know showing this like this little piece of this slice of something that will matter mm-hmm. you know in the show or in in the series as a whole i think this this season even you know there's been a couple of really great ones so far that one is stands out for sure um, if it comes to be what John described, but like, yeah, the, the, what they do with those quote opens is so impressive. Well, what's cool about that too, is that you're not really thinking about it that much, except that as the episode gets closer to the end, you're remembering, oh, he's in Germany. Yeah. Yeah. Those were German words on that. I did say, oh, maybe it has something to, something to do with Werner because it's a slide rule and it's German. I mean, I did have Werner in my head. So when Werner's widow popped up, I was able to say, oh, that's Werner's widow, not who's this woman? You know, I think that there's all kind of little clues that they drop in as they go. What I enjoy is that if you think about that conversation, she it's like she made the filmmaking more economical because she told Lalo Already, there's no paperwork. There's not going to be blueprints. There's not going to be any of that stuff because the Fring team has already come in and cleared that out. Um, Mm. And so Lalo hears that and goes, there's no point in going through drawers and papers because someone's already done that. So he's looking for something else. And I think that that allows that, I I don't know, just that little, the show is constantly seeming like it's just having conversation between characters, but it's actually laying very, very deliberate groundwork for you to put together later. Like, oh, Lalo's really smart. He knows this is the right place. He knows anything to do with the boys is going to be the, his clue. Um, so I do, I do think that's, yeah, smart. The other thing is when he said, uh, when Hector said get proof, I think everybody assumed get proof that it was Gus who ordered the hit on your compound. Um, right. And, he, and then he went, he went driving off south uh, and people thought he was going after Nacho. And then Nacho dies a couple episodes later, and it's almost like no one really circled back around to say, wait a minute, now what was Lalo doing if he went south, you know? So now we know right. he was heading out, he was going out internationally uh, to, to do this crazy mission. But um, yeah, I sort of I, I sort of want to see him succeed because he's so fun to watch when he's succeeding, but the guy's psychotic <laughs> and scary. So um, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. And like I said, I'm glad that Margarita uh, uh, survived. She seems there was something very beautiful and poignant about her being sort of open to something, but also not really wanting to go there and saying in another life, I almost can't imagine another like bittersweet romantic thing to say to somebody, you know, that you just had a yeah, nice right. time with. It's like, no, but you know, if under other circumstances, this could have been something great. Um, I feel like Lalo did have a sincere moment with her. I mean, maybe I'm wrong to think he, he has did. feelings, he but it, fe- it felt genuine that he didn't want to yeah. just walk into her yard and kill her and and do it quickly so yeah 
Well, are we missing anything from Black and Blue? Any other little I wanted, story I, points? I wanted to say it was nice to see Francesca. Oh, yes, yes. I love her. And it was great yeah. to see that kind of close the loop of like how yep. she has this amount of disgust for Jimmy, but she made a deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, double salary and a cash bonus. Right. <laughs> I love what he says to her uh, that uh, what uh, KFC is to chicken, he is to practicing the law. <laughs> yeah, what Colonel Sanders. Yeah, Colonel Sanders. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good one too. He's fully. He's got the loud suit. He's got the. He's got the office now, or soon to be office. Yeah. He's got the yeah. Bluetooth. He's pretty much on his way, you know, to to the guy that we remember. So funny. So cool to see. Um, the Gus Fring thing. I mean, we 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 had the moment where Gus is kind of. He's very very scared of Lalo's return. He doesn't know when he could show up, and so he's kind of taking control in the ways that he can, you know? So like, you know, you know, he needs to take the ultimate measure and wedge a chair under the doorknob. <laughs> yes. Which keeps everybody safe. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. No worries after that. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, he, he's, he's scrubbing the, the, near the tub and above the, 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 the tub and straightening out his pens. Yeah. Checking his yeah. gun. You know, he's like yeah. doing really intense sort of control in the ways that he can. So, you know, and that, again, this is that that relationship between Mike and Gus that just it, it's no one can talk to Gus like this. Right. Besides, like, it's a very he's his cap always like his, you know, his, yeah. his, his, his first first in line, his first, you know, Commander in Chief C CIO, you know, it's like <laughs> interesting to see, <laughs> interesting to see him kind of control things through Mike. You know, Mike is like a a therapist. Also, he helps him process information in real time. You know, it's not that it's not that Mike is perfectly, you know, wound and all that stuff. It's just that. If it comes to killing and hiding and, and taking care of yourself, I'm your man, you know? Yeah. And anything that you're doing that deviates from that, he can't accept, which I really like, man. And um, that dynamic is special to me. It feels like a real, like I was talking to Aaron. I was like, are they friends? Are they friends? Are they like? They kind of are. They kind of are. Like, it's like, that's, that's his version of a friend. Mm -hmm. Gus is a very regimented man, kind of cold, but... His way of saying thank you is like a, a sigh rather than saying something mean and leaving abruptly. It's like he doesn't do it, that interaction. that That's like a thank you versus <laughs> a person that would actually say thank you. You know, so yeah. their dynamic is really cool to watch. And to see that respect. And I, I, I noticed it last week when they were standing there in the room with the monitors talking about the guy that Mike had sent to work for Los Poyos Hermanos, how he was... You know, he was there watching the place, but he wasn't very good on the line as a cook or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, that exchange was what you're talking about, Ronald. It was friendly and it was kind of chummy. And I think that is a step that we hadn't seen yet before these last few episodes of like Mike, not just accepting his role as kind of Gus's enforce enforcer, um, but also like enjoying his company or or just 
like you said, I, well, there's not that many people that I can be frank with because of the nature of yeah. my life. Here's a guy I can just talk to and I don't have to hide any of the aspects of what I'm doing necessarily. Right. Um, yeah. I did want to ask you, I did have one party question, I guess, because it's something that I normally don't like in stories and I don't yet mm. know if I like how this story is going to play it out. I've heard it referred to, I think, as like a dummy plot line where basically problems could be solved if two characters would just talk to each other about what was going on, you know? Um, yeah. I, I, I understand the show's logic, I think, for Kim not to tell Jimmy that Lalo is alive. I, I, but I'm having a real hard time understanding why it makes sense on a character level for her not to just tell him. Because it seems to me that if you're worried about Jimmy going off half-cocked, yeah. if you're worried about erratic Jimmy, it's, it's worse to have erratic Jimmy who's not informed, yeah. especially in the arena of he, he might be using the name of Lalo to get business and Lalo's out there and he thinks he's talking about a dead man. You know what I mean? There might be some way that Jimmy can really make things worse by not knowing the full truth. I'm, I'm having a hard time squaring why is Kim not telling him? I don't know if you guys can make me feel better or worse about that. But Steve, what do you think about... What do you think about Kim's uh, decision to kind of sort of go with what Mike implied, which is that I'm telling you and not Jimmy for a reason, but it kind of seems like when you're at home with that other person to not bring them into that circle of trust, like that's, that's something, right? That's a, that's a big deal. Yeah. I gotta, yeah, that, that's a big question mark for me. That doesn't make sense. Um, I can see why Mike would not want Jimmy to know, but like, yeah, beyond their relationship and their play together. Like, I think that Kim is a little bit different and, or actually, no, Kim's very different in her relationship with Jimmy. And I can't imagine why she would not tell him, especially when she sees him leveraging the association, you know, like to build the business, like you just said. But I mean, it's 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 more dramatic, you know, like it, it, it creates more tension. And, you know, I'm sure it creates a point in time where he asks her why he, she didn't tell him, mm -hmm. you know, and that could be a that could be a point at which this this seed of something gets planted that you know what you mentioned earlier in the episode is just like these things happening are not by chance and even while it makes that makes no sense now how you know something that easy could be just to share and probably forego any kind of like big blowout like uh why didn't you tell me kind of moment uh but again that can give us uh a bit of drama and a bit of like doubt maybe in their relationship with one another when he, mm -hmm. it, when, and if he finds out that she could have told him and didn't tell him. Yeah. Um, I think that Kim is more selfish than she leads on. And I think that some part of it is like, um, you know, they have chemistry, but the, the, the real thing that, that really connects them is shenanigans. And, you know, when he, <laughs> when he came back from the desert at, you know, he was devastated. She never wanted to see him like that ever again. And some of that is like the lack of information that may create, uh, you know, that may take him back to that place. You know, he was he was laying in bed. He didn't really get out. And Kim is just selfish enough to not, never want to deal with that feeling again unless she has to. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, if Lalo is within close proximity, then you could you could kind of lie and be like, oh, my God, I just found out that Lalo's alive versus. <laughs> bleep, bleep, oh, wait, is that my phone? Bleep, bleep. Oh, my gosh. I just got an alert. Lalo's alive. Lalo's on the run. <laughs> he's, he's here. He's alive. He's come back from the dead. But, yeah, I think that because she doesn't have to face it immediately. I've had this happen to me. Just, uh, you know, just the idea that somebody won't tell you something because they don't like 
what you become when you're exposed to that piece of information, mm-hmm. even if it means that you're thrown into like a a fit of rage because of the betrayal of not knowing this as as for as long as uh, the person knew. So I think that Kim is is a little selfish in that way, but I think that's like you know it's like a character flaw of hers that she would rather you know things be kind of fun and devious like they are now versus him being thrown into a panic well you know you were just talking about gus maybe she's just in a little bit more in control if she knows Ooh. a little bit more than jimmy does because um it was never she was never as harsh with jimmy as chuck was but i never forget that time where chuck said that uh giving giving jimmy a law degree was like giving a chimp a machine gun um I do think, and he said at some point, you you kind of see me that way too at some point. I can't remember the exact scene, but I do think Kim kind of sees Jimmy as dangerous in that way. So I, in a way, I sort of see what you mean about like, it does give her, and again, it's what we like about Kim. She she She's very yeah. discerning and she's very shrewd about what she does, but that could mean also she's looking at Jimmy that same way and going, maybe yeah. it's not it's not so much like that she doesn't see the downside to not telling him, it's that she doesn't right. yet see the upside to telling him. Right. Yeah. 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 That's crazy, man. She, she, Dr. Strange the shit out of this situation. She's like, I, I <laughs> have waved her hands stone. around and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can only handle it one way. It can only be handled one way. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's really interesting to see Kim taking this, this sort of approach because she is the Dr. Strange of the situation. I'm not going to look too far into that. I'm going to say, let's end on that idea. Steve, anything else to say about uh, the Dr. Strange of uh, Albuquerque being Kim Wexler? <laughs> I- I'm here for it, I guess. I'm okay, I'm okay with it. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, if, if people have enjoyed listening to us talk, they should know that they have hundreds of hours of this that they can enjoy. Um, where can they find that, Steve? Uh, that, that podcast is called Movie Schmovie, and uh, we are and should be on really all the podcast platforms but if you go to moviesmovie.com you can find the entire library you can find links to all those different podcast platforms and uh yeah we talk basically every week about movies tv shows just you know entertainment news that we talk that we come across and it's just it's just a lot of fun much like this podcast was but you know thanks for having uh, both of us on here john i'm sure speak for ronald and say that it's been a pleasure to be on here with you oh yeah i appreciate it man I'm so glad you didn't disagree with Steve just then, Ronald, and say, speak for yourself. This has been horrible. <laughs> this is a farce. This is a... <laughs> Screw you on this, this show. Yeah, that would be crazy. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening out there. And until next time, cancel my week. <laughs> for more episodes of Soul Searching and other podcasts like it, subscribe to FYIZ on your favorite podcatcher app. 